Imagine for a moment that you're curled up in bed. You shut off the bedside lamp and close your eyes. You're just about to drift off when your brain decides that now is the ideal time to remind you of that dumb thing you said 30 years ago. Hey, 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 the inner critic carps. You remember that stupid thing you said? And then maybe you spend another half hour tossing and turning, obsessing about that stupid thing you said before finally dozing off. Sound familiar? Many of us have these inner critics, these unwelcome constant companions which seem to thrive on shame and fear. Fortunately, you're not alone. And even better, we have a pillar of faith whose blunders became an integral part of the Christian story, Simon Peter. Peter's relatable, isn't he? Peter's brash, he's impulsive, he talks a good game but doesn't follow through, like when he tells Jesus that everyone else may abandon you, Lord, but I will not. We know what happens after that. And while he changes in the book of Acts to be a confident, wise, and powerful leader of the early church, he still struggles with this fearful, impulsive part of himself. Peter, Paul even says that he opposed Peter to his face at Antioch when Peter stopped eating with Gentiles due to pressure from leaders of the Jerusalem church. So this is after the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter, like us, was human and did more than his share of dumb things. And here, in the story of the Transfiguration, we see Peter do something very human, very familiar. Peter, James, and John experience something extraordinary, a lowering of the veil. They see Jesus as he really is, Lord of all, clothed in power, glory, and light. They see two great men from Israel's history, Moses and Elijah, the culmination of the law and the prophets, up there on that mountain with Jesus. They hear them talking with him, and they hear something about the conversation. They're, they're talking about his exodus from life to death, to glorified, resurrected life. The literal word there in Greek is his exodus. It must have been overwhelming, more than overwhelming. No wonder they were terrified. And people do funny things when they're afraid. Some, like James and John, seem to freeze. They seem shocked into silence. But some, like Peter, rudely awakened from sleep, are suddenly afflicted with logoria. Peter can't stop what comes out of his mouth. Lord, it's really, really, really good to be here, up on this mountain with you and... Moses and Elijah, we could stay for a while. We could celebrate the Festival of Booths, you know, where we commemorate God's glory leading us out of Egypt through the desert, you know, right here's God's glory, so let me get my tools. I'll start building some shelters. Let's go. And then the cloud descends on the mountaintop. The holy, terrifying darkness of God. The same darkness that en enveloped Moses on Sinai envelops them. This is my son, the chosen, 
the voice moves. Listen to him. Listen to him. Those three words sum up our work, our life as Christians. Listen to him. What should we do as his church? Listen to him. How do we address the challenges of our lives in our work, congregation, or personal lives? Listen to him. How do we know that we're beloved children of God? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus, especially what he says in the Gospels. Ponder his words, ruminate on them, study them with others. The crowds knew this back in chapter 5. They were pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. Those are Luke's words. And what are some of the things Jesus says? We only need to look back to chapter 6 and his Sermon on the Plain. We skipped over it in this year's lectionary cycle, but here's the summary. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the mourning, the persecuted, for God's kingdom belongs to them. Woe to the rich, the full, the laughing, and the well-liked, for they've already gotten their reward. Love your enemies. Give to everyone who asks. Don't expect plaudits for loving those who love you or for lending to those who will pay you back. Don't condemn others. Forgive. Give and it will be given. Remember that God loves and does good to the wicked and the ungrateful. Address your own shortcomings first before addressing those of others. Good people like good trees bear good fruit. And finally, listening to Jesus' words and acting on them is the foundation of the Christian life. So what gets in the way of our listening to and acting on Jesus' words? Well, they're certainly challenging, for one. They upend our expectations. But there's something else that stops us, too. Even with those parts of Jesus' sermon we may wholeheartedly agree with, like, don't judge and you won't be judged, and, and love others and forgive. Past disappointments, past failures, and past hurts stifle the imagination. Our inner critic torments us with them, yanking us back from the fruit-bearing life our Savior wants for us to a kind of animalistic survivor mode where we're just concerned about ourselves. See? See what happened last time? Because you wouldn't listen to me, we have to survive. All too easily, we get turned in on ourselves. We become hard-hearted, we become self-obsessed and self-absorbed. All too easily, it's very easy to forget our broader mission in favor of our self-focused projects, kind of like what Peter did on the mountain. Instead of stepping into the future with Jesus' words as our sure guide, we cringe back into survivor mode. But we don't have to. We don't have to be afraid. It's true that the past year has been extraordinarily hard. Many of us have suffered loss. Many of us grieve. What we wouldn't give for a mountaintop experience right now. Seems like we've been in the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death for a long time. And while there is a faint pinhole of light, it seems a long way off. So, too easily we go back into survivor mode. 
We've been there for some time. But here's where the good news comes in. So were the people Jesus was speaking to. The people Jesus was speaking to were in that mode, that self-focused mode, all the time. Father at the bottom of the mountain, survivor mode, desperate to save his son. The disciples who couldn't cast out a demon, despite receiving authority from Jesus to do so earlier, probably frightened, scared, wondering what is going on. At least they're perplexed. The disciples, again, when Jesus says something scary about his upcoming arrest, Luke tells us they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear what he was saying to them. They could not hear it. They must. It's hard when you are in survivor mode to listen. Which is why that it's a miracle. It's a miracle that Jesus' words, which encourage repentance, mercy, forgiveness, and love, and the embracing of a new life, a life out of mere survival, a life lived for others, have survived through the ages. They could have only survived if Jesus' words were the very word of God, the proclaimed word of God issuing from the incarnate word of God. Just as Jesus broke every barrier at name, you heard that story last week, just as Jesus broke through every barrier at name to restore life to that young lad, Jesus' words break through our barriers, even when we cannot hear them. Our inner, they break through that inner critic in us. They break through that lonely survivor mode that we put ourselves in. They break through our fearfulness and reticence. They're no match for Jesus' words, which bring mercy out of condemnation, love out of apathy, and life out of death. Jesus' words break us out of the death spiral of survivor mode and into new life. A new life that is more extraordinary than we can comprehend. And that new life starts now, in this age. Even in that new life, our worst mistakes are little more than dust under our feet. Let's pray. Lord God, let the words of your Son sink into our ears and break through every barrier we set up. Give us the boldness we need to act on them. In his name we pray. Amen.